name's Eileen Townsend, and I'm the editor of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor, a trade magazine for the forest products industry that's based out of the Adirondack Mountains in New York State. Hi, and thanks for listening to the Northern Logger podcast. Sometimes a logging job is more than just a logging job. When a logger returns to a forest again and again over the course of many years, he observes regeneration and change in the woods. He also gets to know the landowners and their children, and sometimes their children's children. Just calling this kind of logging job a job can seem insufficient. For a logger working on the land in this way, the job becomes a part of what shapes life and gives it meaning. When the Northern Logger met with logger Mike Thurlow this past July near the town of Lee, Maine, we visited just such a piece of land. Thurlow is an independent contractor who runs a traditional hand-cutting operation. His partner in crime is a well-loved 1980 John Deere 540B skitter with many welds and quite a few dents. We met Thurlow on a 660-acre tract that he has cut on season by season for three decades. He spoke to us about what it means to be a small operation logger in Maine right now, about his love of the work, about his inspiration to get back in the woods every day. You just want to sit here and talk for a minute and Whatever then we can go. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, that mm-hmm. worked. The sound is good here. I'm good, yeah. All right, so uh, what what is this job? How large is it and what well, are you harvesting for the most part? This is a pretty big track of land that I've cut on over 30 years. I, I cut a lot of other woodlots as well, So, but I cut part of the year here on this woodlot. The people that originally owned it uh, have passed, but they left it in a forest trust. And this is close to home, and so this is a this is a big wood lot. How many acres? Uh, it's over 600 acres. Okay. And for one man operation, that right, I, that's I a could big basically lot. keep cutting and keep cutting because it's all selective cut. Actually, I'm cutting over some of the land a second and third time in mm. my lifetime. So. It's always nice when you can do that. It is nice. Yes, that's the way to to do it if you can. So, this this land here, I know all of it, basically every square foot of it. But so I, yeah, it's, I spend some of my year of logging here and try to get out a certain amount of wood. So it's pretty pretty special land to me. Mm. I've, I've spent a good chunk of my life right here on this land logging it and uh, so forth so and uh, are you an independent contractor what's that are you an independent contractor yes yes yeah do you are you partially mechanized no that's that's it i chainsaw and cable skitter that's that's it and uh for almost 20 years i hauled my own wood i've got a log truck with Mm -hmm. a with a loader on it i had to retire the log truck um, a few years ago, and I decided not to replace it, uh, just the cost and stuff, and, and, you know, I'm in my 60s, so I didn't figure it was a good investment to, to buy another log truck this late in my career, so I just, I hire my truck and done, and, hmm. which works out just fine. How are your markets around here? 
not very good. <laughs> they haven't been good for years. Um, as mills, you know, paper mills have closed in, in this area, uh, three or four, yeah, four with, that I supplied to have closed in, uh, I think the first one was 10 or 12 years ago. And that really connects to what how I've come about getting involved in the race, which is crazy. But I went up to watch my two boys run the second year of the Millinocket race. And East Millinocket Mill was closed and Millinocket Mill was closed. And I drove right by them and have, you know, provided wood to those mills my whole life and then they were closed and that's so why as I watched the race I got to thinking about it's too bad that there wasn't something here to represent the logger right and such a rich heritage of logging in the Katahdin region and so forth and that that's what started the thought process for me to boat running what would you say your percentages of pulp versus saw logs on this lot, it's, I don't know, probably 80% pulp. Some of the other lots, and I've got some land of my own that I cut. I, I cut some, uh, some of my land last winter, and I had some really good timber on that and uh, cut, cut almost 100,000 feet of uh, pine logs on that last winter. So, uh, But this land, this land here has been, it was harvested some before I, started cutting on this do you do road building on this land uh or there you know the the roads yeah well we try to use the roads was already here and the landowner preference was to not make big roads so so and not to do mechanical harvesting they Mm -hmm. want they want a hand crew like what i've been doing and uh so there's some some little spur roads like this that we'll freeze in the winter mm-hmm. and go in and harvest. Uh, so I don't have to do a lot of road building or road maintenance. I do have a bulldozer that I bring onto the job site when I need it. So how did you get started logging? Was your family in it? Well, my dad logged a little bit in the winters on the farmstead. Uh, if he didn't have other work to do, he would he would log, and that's where I that's where I first started logging with him at a pretty young age. And, uh, logging has changed quite a bit since that, those days, and um, we didn't do it with a horse back then. But we we had uh, a little John Deere crawler, you know, chainsaws and wood hooks and stuff like that. A lot of a lot more physical labor. Right. So so my dad really wasn't a logger but he did it part time and that's where I that's where I got uh interested in it I guess and uh um when I got out of high school I didn't particularly care for school much and and I graduated from high school didn't have a, much of a desire to go on to college or anything and I went right into the workforce and uh I drove I drove truck hauled hauled logs for a while mm-hmm. right out of high school. I thought I could make more money cutting wood than I could driving truck in the tremendously long hours driving truck. Get up in the middle of the night and drive for sixteen hours each day or something like that. Right. 
and not have much to show for it at right. the end of the week. And eventually hired on with a contractor to cut wood. They had just started a big track of land uh, near where I was living in this town. And uh, I said, I'm going to try that. So I worked for that contractor for about five years. And <clears throat> before I left him, I had bought that machine right there. And then I had a chance to go cut a private lot and thought, I'll go cut the private lot and then I'm going to come back and continue to work for the contractor. But I never went back to the contractor because then there was another private lot and mm. another and another. And I've always had private lots and plenty of wood to cut. And this is one of those private lots that <clears throat> as soon as I left that contractor, the landowner was after me to come here. In fact, I was the first skidder that ever operated on this lot oh, wow. way back then. <clears throat> and he was skeptical to have uh, a big machine come on his land. Um, this this gentleman that owned the land who passed away, his name was Fred Dingley, and he loved his land greatly. And uh, But he recognized that there needed to be wood harvested too. And mm. been the only skidder here all these years. Yeah. Well, so when did you start on this lot? Well, I think I've been here about 35 years, and not full-time, so like half of the year I'll cut here. Yeah. What kind of uh, skitter is that? That's a John Deere 540B. I've run that all these years. I've worn out three motors in it. Wow. <laughs> what year is it? Uh, 1980. What kind of chainsaw do you use? I use mostly Husqvarna chainsaws. Oh, I was going to ask you about the uh, the forestry for the property. You said you're doing a selective cut. Is that something that you do? You do the forest plan, or is there a forester that comes in? Or there is a forester that manages this land. Um, a good friend of mine. Well, he lived he lived here in town for a long while, and he worked he worked with me a long while, so that. He didn't have to be here much, mm -hmm. if this makes sense. He didn't have to be here much. So he's taught me what to cut, what to leave. Right. He only comes around once in a while. Mm -hmm. He knows what's going on. He knows where I'm cutting and all that. Um, he just he doesn't live in town anymore, so that's why I don't see him too often, which is fine. If I have something to fight at, you know, if I need some some help, he's he's right there. How many loads do you send a week? Oh, if I'm if I'm cutting uh, every day, you know, I'll I'll uh, I will get four or five loads a week. Mm. Um, I haven't haven't done much yet this summer in the woods. I've done a lot of a lot of other projects, a lot of projects on the farm. So, right. but when I'm lo logging right straight ahead. You know, every day, which will be pretty soon, I'll be doing that. Um, then uh, you know, we get out, we get out a pretty good bunch of wood each week. Yeah. Um, so, I guess I'm curious just about you know for you, because obviously I talk to a lot of different guys, mm -hmm. and you see people who are just like, I want to grow my business as large as possible, and I want to get as much equipment in the woods, and right. you know, it doesn't matter to me if I'm in two million dollars of debt, like. I'm just going to, this is high production. So mm. I'm curious about your choice and your lifestyle, you know, like how do you decide that you want to be a contractor and stay small? 
That's a that's really a good question. I I guess I noticed when I started cutting private lots on my own, I actually had I had some small opportunities I could have had you know, a couple guys work for me and get another skidder. But I saw a lot of guys that tried to do that, tried to tried to have crews, and uh, they didn't last very long. I just, I don't know, I guess I just noticed that. Mm. But I also felt that most of the woodlots that I cut, I got those to cut, and this is one of those, that they wanted me and only me, mm. and they didn't want other people, and they, they wanted just one guy that knew how to do it, not tear it all up and so forth. So I didn't look, I didn't look at all ever really to uh, increase my production and have more people working, and so I just wanted to keep it like this and seemed like lo- less headaches. And I knew I could make a living at it mm. and uh, so forth. The only thing that I did along the way was was buy a logging truck. And the reason why I did that was because my I had the same guy haul my wood for a long while. His name was Ray Proctor. I guess he must have hauled my wood for 15 years probably. And then he had to retire because of his health. He was old anyways, but mm-hmm. he, didn't, he didn't want to retire. Yeah. But when he retired, he he said, I'm going to sell my truck. And I said, well, I'm going to buy it because I knew the truck. Right. He'd hauled for me and took he took good care of stuff. And and so that was really the only thing that I did to change my operation all these years. And uh, that worked out okay. I, I kind of enjoyed hauling my own wood. And I was kind of doing the complete, the complete package, you know, from right from the stump to the mill. And, uh, right. I don't think I made any more money doing it that way. It's expensive to put put and keep a truck on the road, and I was only hauling my own wood, so my truck was only basically hauling wood one or two days a week, and it was setting the rest of the time, not right. making any money, and you still had, you know, all the costs of insurance and all of that, the repairs, and uh, it turned out all right. But, uh, so that, yeah, so your, your original question was I didn't, I didn't look to make a big big company or even a small company. I was that's as big as I wanted to be. It was myself and uh, you know, it's just that's how I wanted to stay. So how did you get involved with all the CLP stuff? When that program started, I think it was 91 was the first year I heard about it. I was buying my own workers comp then and so I knew that According to what I was told, if I went through it, that that I would have a, a lower workers' comp rate mm-hmm. if I got certified. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go through it. Mm-hmm. And I'd already been logging then probably uh, 15 years full-time. And I guess my attitude was maybe a little different than some of the guys that went through it because some of them were were not happy to have to go through the training because they had figured they knew enough, you know. Right. I was hoping to, you know, maybe pick up a few things that I could do better, and and I actually learned quite a lot. Well, so I kind of took to the training, and then uh, after I got certified, 
asked if there was a way that I could be maybe be involved in the program and and so two things happened almost simultaneously they Andy Wood and uh, Mike St. Peter um, they started the got the game of logging competition going are you familiar with yes that? yeah okay. I've actually done <laughs> the first level of the game of logging okay so I decided um, Andy asked me that he called me I barely knew him but he called me and he said um, he said you've had all the levels of the training um, we're gonna hold a competition in Greenville he said the first ever in the state of Maine he said we want you to come and compete <laughs> so I like yeah okay that sounds good to me I went over and won it I won the first state, <laughs> first state title <laughs> And then I went to the Nationals that year, and I came in fourth place because I had a bad tree that rolled on me. Otherwise, I would have won the Nationals <laughs> the first year. Well, that was okay, and then I went. But I, I loved the, I loved the competition and competing against the guys. And I still had the, the thoughts were, what can I learn by competing? You know, mm -hmm. how can I be better? And I took it quite serious. And uh, uh, well, '96, I made a little error and I ended up in second place in the state. 97 I come back and beat I won the state title again and went to the Nationals but they didn't hold the Nationals that year so I had to wait until 98 and I went and I won the Nationals in 98 and uh, so that's uh, that was a great ride. I just <laughs> loved that you know and of course the money was great. Um, yeah. right, right after that um, Winning a win a national title, you get telephone calls. So, um, Mike St. Peter asked me to be on the on the board for CLP. So I was uh, chairman of uh, board of directors for CLP for several years. Mm. Sat on that board, and then I also became a trainer for CLP. Mm. Which I did part time. Can you imagine this? I'm running. I'm running the logging business and farming business and oh my gosh yeah and now I'm training part-time yeah the training is a full-time uh, job yeah I mean. and that was uh but I got to meet some really nice people and uh you know good it was all good so so I did a bunch of training when when uh, the training was really hot and we had to basically get all the loggers trained in the state mm-hmm um, I did a bunch of that for a few years, mostly during mud season. Right. You'll know what mud season is. I don't have to explain yeah, that. Yeah, right. No, we have um, one of those in New York. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was all, that's how I got really heavily involved in the CLP program mm -hmm. for a number of years. Not so much now. The training is has slacked way off because everybody's been through it. You know, uh, right. there's not too many new people coming in. They do hold a few classes, but uh, I um, I don't do much, uh, hardly any of the training now. Um, I am involved every every year with the uh, game of logging competition in Greenville, which is coming up here in August, and I and I help judge that mm. competition with Andy and a few of the other guys, and uh, yeah. So that's how that all connected. How I got CLP has made a made a big impact on how I right how I log uh, yeah. but my my final question is just about safety and 
you know, how you handle safety working alone? Mm-hmm. Well, most of the places uh, where I work, I have cell phone coverage, which is a big, a big plus now that we didn't have for years, of course. But uh, I believe that my my training with CLP uh, has uh, caused me to be a much safer logger than I than I was when I first started logging full time. Um, it just the felling cuts are I. You know, I hardly ever lose a tree now. If you intend that tree to go there, right, and it ends up going over there, you lost the tree. You didn't. It didn't go where you wanted it to because you made a mistake somewhere in that uh, in that um, action of cutting it. You either made a bad cut or you made a bad judgment on which way it leaned. Whatever, you lost the tree, which then creates a very hazardous situation that you could get killed in. Right. And so now I never lose a tree. I should say never, but I mean, no, I just, I, you just, but before CLP training, because we didn't know, I didn't know any better or any different. Losing a tree was a common right. daily yeah. experience. Hmm. And you had to be quick on your feet or you're going to get killed. And that was just, that was the mentality that we worked by. And CLP changed all that. Mm. You don't have to do that. You can have accurate felling cuts. And I had the grand privilege of having some training days with Soren Erickson. Mm. And he was he was the best. Right. And uh, we, we used to have him come to Maine and train those of us who were trainers for CLP. He used to train us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just was uh, just couldn't get enough of that you know um, so that changed uh, so I feel that I'm very safe and some people do ask me well you know you're all alone but I don't have to worry about hurting somebody else That's I just true, have to worry yeah. about myself yeah you know <laughs> right. if you're working and I did work in two-man crews when I when I first started logging you know it was dangerous if two guys were getting along really good and they knew each other and had worked together for a long while one would know what the other one's going to do next and so forth but uh, that wasn't always the case right and so it a lot of guys I think just gravitated to cotton for themselves and that's what I've done most most of my career and so I'm not worried about that I think uh, probably driving into Boston in a car on a <laughs> daily basis is more dangerous than what I do out here because I have good control of what I'm doing and, sure you know yeah so Thanks, Mike, and thanks for listening to this month's Northern Logger podcast. Tune in next month.